This is Real Estate Rookie episode 231. So an FHA loan um, is a low down payment loan. You can often put down just three and a half percent or most often you can put that down. Um, And it's intended for a property that you're going to live in. Um, You can actually use the FHA loan multiple times in your life. You can just only have one at a time. So we got into this with the FHA loan. But a fun fact that in all my, you know, 365 days of research somehow never came up is that there are FHA loan limits. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. I'd love to start the podcast off by shouting out folks in our rookie audience who have left us a review on the Apple Podcast platform. And this week's review comes from Ellie0303. Ellie says, this is the best podcast out there. Tony and Ashley provide a great base for rookies to get started. They keep it light and interesting throughout the episodes. Highly, highly recommend. Ellie, we appreciate you. And if you haven't yet left us an honest rating review on Apple Podcasts, whatever platform it is you're listening to, look yourself in the mirror, ask yourself what you're doing with your life, and go do what you're supposed to do. So Ash Care, what's up? How are things going in, uh, in Buffalo? Well, this is the first that we have talked since we both got back from BPCon. So That's you true. guys missed an amazing time. Uh, Tony and I had three speaking engagements we had to do, and we ended up going above and beyond for you guys. And we actually recorded six podcasts. too. So was there, we, I like lost track. I couldn't yeah, even keep track at a certain point. We had no plans to even do this. And we just like kept finding people like we want to interview them. We want to interview them. And yeah. it turned out to be amazing. So coming up, we have Jamil from On The Market Podcast. We have Pace Morby, who is the sub to and seller finance guru. I hate to word the use, use the word guru, but master, whatever you want to call him. Right. We have investor girl, Britt. And we also have Ashley Hamilton, who I think maybe had the biggest uh, downloads or the most downloads for um, the Bigger Pockets OG podcast too, when she was first originally on several years ago. And then they just had her on again too. So that was our first time meeting her in person. But what a whirlwind it was. <laughs> it was a stacked day, a, a few days of recording. And what I really love, you know, because we are the Rookie Podcast, we wanted to make sure that even though all those guests were experts, we brought them in to break down very specific things that they're experts in in the space so that you as rookies can follow along and, and implement what it is. So it's not necessarily about their backstories. It's more so, hey, here are some tactical things you can do as a rookie to implement the things that those those guys and girls are, are world class at. Yeah, we also did a kind of an Instagram giveaway that we just like all of a sudden decided to do Monday on the conference and then picking a winner on Tuesday. And we got super lucky because we hit a rookie rock star with the winner. It was a completely <laughs> yeah. random draw totally. as to who totally. won it. And so we will also have Ethan Wilson on, on episode 240. And he is going to talk about his experience. He's fresh out of college and he already has uh, his own house hack and he has a uh, six unit and an eight unit under contract. Yeah. I think it was He's just, just amazing. amazing things. Yeah, yeah. So make sure you guys watch out and we definitely have to get him back on to do his own uh, full episode too. But yeah. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Well, today we got Jesse Dillon on the podcast, and Jesse, uh, she actually took Ashley's rookie boot camp earlier this year, and she's gone on to do some absolutely amazing things. And man, I, I we we just really enjoyed this episode, and I feel like we could have kept going like on and on and on. But Jesse talks about how she scaled from zero to almost two million dollars in less than a year, and just all the kind of things that, that went into that. She talks about getting her spouse on board and kind of what that process looks like. Uh, she talks about some creative financing strategies that she used to scale. So overall, I think this will be one of our, our top performing episodes because she's got such an amazing story. Yeah. And I love the personal finance piece too of it, that she really built that strong foundation that we always harp on to. Um, so if you need help with that, this is a, a great episode to listen to. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah. So my name is Jesse Dillon. I'm 30 years old. I live in central mass. Um, aside from real estate, I'm a wife, a stepmom. I own two businesses. Um, I'm semi-retired now, which is so fun to say. <laughs> um, I brought, I brought my portfolio from $0 to a million and a half in nine months with five doors. So I'm excited to talk about that. And, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Outside of all the real estate stuff, I'm a yoga fanatic and that's about it. So I'm curious, what are your two other businesses? One of my businesses that I've had for about five years is a permanent makeup studio. So we cool. do permanent makeup and beauty services. And there's also a side of it where I do business mentoring for other permanent makeup artists. And that side kind of came about when we had to close the salon due to COVID. Um, and then also I have the real estate investing business. Okay. Let me ask you this real quick before we get kind of into your portfolio and your real estate investing is with that experience as an entrepreneur already, how do you think that has helped you? What skill sets have you brought from your other business 
into being a real estate investor, even though they are two completely different businesses, how have things kind of correlated and help you that you already have some kind of entrepreneurial background? I think there's three big things that I just thought of as you were saying that. So one is that the people in my life have already seen me build something from nothing. So a lot of times getting started in real estate, if you came from a W-2, the people in your life might be a little hesitant to support you, but I've already proven to my network that like, if I want to do something, I can start it from nothing on my own. Um, And then another thing too is like, And there's definitely a tipping point where this isn't a good thing anymore, but I'm not afraid of making investments. I'm not afraid of just jumping in and, you know, learning how to swim as I, once I get in, you know what I mean? Um, So the fear wasn't really there for me when I was getting started. Um, And then the third thing is that I know how to hire and delegate. And if I didn't have the help that I have and wasn't able to delegate to people, I definitely could not have made all three of these purchases this year. Yeah, I, I love that, Jesse. And, you know, Ash, I'm so glad you asked that question because I feel like so many rookies, they miss that they have these transferable skills. You know, they're like, I do this thing for my day job, which has nothing to do with real estate investing. But if you really take the time to think about the skills and the abilities that you've developed, a lot of those are transferable. So, I mean, Ashley, what do you, what do you think? And I know your career as a as a as an accountant was was short lived. Um, but like, what do you feel you learned in that? Like, it was what like eight months. Like, what are some things you feel you picked up in that time that helped you as a real estate investor? And I'll, I'll share mine afterwards. Yeah, well, definitely just know how to do bookkeeping. Um, also, how to sit at a desk for eight hours staring at a computer screen that uh, gave me some discipline, I guess. But also, like, even besides that job, like I've done a ton of different side hustles. I sewed baby clothes for a year in my basement and sold them on Instagram. And I made $16,000 off of doing that in one year as a side hustle. And, but I learned social media skills. I learned how to grow an Instagram, how to market myself. And so I think no matter any kind of business or side hustle or even a hobby you do, those things can definitely correlate over somehow. I had no idea that you know how to sew. I just learned something new about you. <laughs> yeah. And I am, I'm offended. I haven't gotten a hand sewn black t-shirt from you yet. So I, we, we gotta, <laughs> I we gotta said, change it. I said baby clothes. Like. <laughs> so, so, so six foot one, 200 pounds, you don't, you don't make them, you don't make <laughs> yeah. them that big. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's, like I said, it's, it's a really good point, Ash. I'm glad you brought it up because for, for me in my day job, uh, before I went full-time in real estate, I was uh, a manager for a network of warehouses like distribution centers. And at surface level, there's no correlation between running a a supply chain network and being a real estate investor. But much like you said, Jesse, I got really good at finding and managing talent in that job. I got really good at, at building systems and I got really good at solving complex problems. And I got really good at managing budgets and like all of these things, even though they're not necessarily related to real estate investing, they are things that are important if you want to be a a successful real estate business owner. So, I mean, I feel like we don't talk about that enough, Ash, about how those, those skills translate. And we should probably ask our rookies those questions more often. Well, think about when we did the meet and greet right at BPCon recently, where we, someone said, you know, I have this job now, but I don't know how any of the skill sets I have in it can kind of help me get started in real estate investing. Should I like switch careers or what? 
And then we asked them the question, well, what is your job? They're like, I'm a project manager in the tech industry. I think it was. They're like, Mm -hmm. right there, the first two words, project (laughs) manager. Everybody, who here is looking for somebody to manage their rehab project? Put in the system and process. Yeah. (laughs) That was too easy for us to answer that one. But um, yeah, I think there's always some kind of skill set or something in your job. You know, even leadership, maybe if you're a manager or like my business partner, Daryl, he was a foreman. So kind of, you know, having people work under him is a skill set that he has that he brought to the table. Yeah. I mean, the more we've talked about it, I feel like there are more skills that have translated from one business to another than skills that have not. Obviously, I'm not going out tattooing eyebrows on my rental properties. I could do a great job of that. But I think like the social media and like, um, you know, like you had said, learning how to use social media, learning how to hire and manage people and building the systems, like those are things that I was already doing. So I feel like I didn't have that many new skills to learn. And then Jesse, you already had these two successful business models going. What made you decide, okay, I'm going to take on another business. I want to get into real estate. What was that moment like for you? Well, So leading up to, you know, those three months that we had to close when the pandemic started, I was working probably four full days a week, but I was putting in like 40 hours in that time. And that was just behind the chair, so to speak, or with clients. Plus I was doing all the office work behind the scenes. So then when I was sort of forced to take a three month vacation, which was a lot nicer than it sounds like I would have been, um, I was like, you know what? I can't keep that up. Like that wasn't sustainable. I can't see myself doing that until the traditional retirement age, right? So that's when I developed my business mentoring program. And when I was like, you know what, I'm going to scale back with clients and just figure out how to make up that income somehow. And it wasn't long after that I actually, like all of this came about because of a Facebook clickbait article. I saw this article from Business Insider and it said that a 26-year-old girl was retiring And I'm like, wait a minute, I want to retire too. So I read it and I connected with her and I discovered FIRE, this whole movement. And then a FIRE podcast led me to your podcast. And I just totally binged it. This was last fall. So this was only a year ago. And I knew I had to get in on this because the work that you do in the beauty industry is so physical. You wouldn't really think so, but you know, most people I know in the industry have neck problems and back problems and wrist problems. And I was at the point because of those issues where I was going to, you know, so many different physical health appointments, like every week, like twice a week, if not more. And it just wasn't getting better. So I knew that I couldn't keep doing that physical work forever. Plus that's also you, you are the person that's making money. Like I always give the example of like a chiropractor, a chiropractor can own his own business, but he's only making money if he's there cracking your back. And that's kind of sounds the same as your position too, is that you have to give up your time. It's not, there's no way to kind of outsource that unless you, you know, hire people under you. But I'm assuming a lot of the people are paying for you to do their, their makeup and everything and not someone else. So Yeah, I can see how that can correlate. So after you've done your research, you started binging these podcasts. What was it like with your spouse, getting your your spouse on board with this? How did you approach him? So my husband, Pat, um, and everyone else in real estate will be so jealous of this. He's an electrician. So I have that in the bag whenever something goes wrong with the electrical. But um, 
you know, I got so excited about it. And at first I didn't really think to share that with him because we each have our separate passions and interests and hobbies. Like if you look at my books and then his books, they like couldn't be more different. So I didn't really think to share it with him at first until it actually came time to use our savings for this. But by that time, he knew how much of a student I had become in all of this. Like he saw the time I was putting into reading the books and doing the research and everything. And just five years prior, he saw me say, you know what, I'm going to quit my full-time job and I'm going to go off on my own doing this beauty stuff. Like, are you, how do you feel about that? And of course he was a little nervous, but he saw what I did with that over the five years. And he was like, if you really want to do this real estate thing, I have no doubt in my mind, like, go ahead. So I'm just very lucky that I had such a supportive partner. Okay. So you talked about your life savings a little bit. What was the, how was the initial funding? Because that is usually the hardest hurdle for somebody getting started is kind of the deal analysis and also how are they actually going to pay for the property? So what were kind of the first steps you took? Like, okay, you and your husband decided you're going to go through and do this. Did you line up your funding first? Did you find the deal first? Did you start to build a team? What were kind of the the steps that you took? Um, I think we lined up the funding first. So um, we had a pretty decent savings already. And once I started with the whole fire thing and reading the books and watching the documentaries and stuff, I jacked my savings rate way up. And I was fortunate to be a high income person. So it was a little bit easier for me. Um, so I jacked my savings rate way up. And initially, I was going to um, start investing aggressively in index funds until I realized that was still going to take me 11 years to achieve early retirement. And I'm like, I can't keep breaking my neck for another 11 years. There's got to be another way. So um, we built up a lot of savings that we were going to invest that way. And I had done my research on what it was actually going to cost to get into a property. So once we had that plus a buffer, plus our personal savings, we felt good about making offers. So Jesse, I just want to, I want to go back before we, we drill a little bit deeper into the financing piece, because you, you talked about getting your, your spouse on board. And I know that that's a question that comes up so often for new investors because they, they listen to the podcast, they watch the YouTube channel, or they read that book and now they're, they're like hooked and they're going down the rabbit hole, but their spouse isn't going on this journey with them. And I, I just want to highlight kind of what I heard you say, because I think it's important for our rookies to really let that sink in. So the first thing you said is that you, you became a student, right? And your husband saw you going on that journey of educating yourself and whether it was reading the books or, you know, whatever you were doing, right? But he saw you go on that journey of educating yourself. So at least he knew that this wasn't some, you know, you're, you're not going in blind to doing this, which I think is important. And then the, the second thing, and you didn't really say this, but it, it, it is what happened is that you had built trust in that relationship over time. You said that he had already saw you have success with this original business venture that you had. So he already had the confidence in you to go out and, and try this new thing. So for our rookies that are listening, if you're the kind of person that has like a different harebrained idea every other week and you never commit to any of those things, then when you bring up real estate to your spouse, 
they might be a little bit questionable about how serious you are about that thing. But if you can prove to your spouse, maybe in a lower risk setting, that you are committed, that you can do this for the long term, that you aren't going to change your mind in a week, um, and you're going to take your whole life savings and, and actually make it profitable, then I, I think that's important. So just like building that trust. And I've never really said that out loud, but I, after you said that, I realized just how important that is. Tony, are you thinking of how your music career took off and showed Sarah <laughs> how well your first that's exactly that my, your my, went my, off that she trusted <laughs> you in short term that, that was the that was the juice that started it all. So if you guys if you guys want to get your spouse on board, drop two mixtapes in your early twenties, and that's that's how it goes. And you know what? I think the trust was really built when Sarah stood on the side of the road with you, handing out mixtapes, passing out CDs. That's how it goes. That right there is some of it. That's trust. Um, but one, one other thing I want to hit on, Jesse, you, you also, if you actually, before we, we go too far, can you, I know you touched on this already, but just what's the current portfolio look like today? Like what is, how many units, um, and, and where are those units at? Yeah. So first we, um, purchased a two family home, a duplex about 20 minutes away. Um, and that we have two long-term rental tenants in. So we closed on that this past January. And then next we purchased a single family home, which is up in the lakes region in New Hampshire. And we use that as a short-term rental and we closed on that in the spring. And then lastly, we closed on our house hack, which is also in central mass. It's a two family. So we have a long-term renter in the other side, and we actually have a midterm renter within our unit too, because our unit is more space than we need. Um, so that's what it's looking like now. And I am hoping to keep up the pace of making one smart purchase a quarter. That, and, and you did this in, in what span of time? Nine months. <laughs> and that that's amazing, right? But I, I think people here, oh, I went from zero to, you know, I think you said 1.5 million in nine months. And you're like, oh man, that's amazing. But they, they gloss over the fact of, of what you said about rapidly increasing your savings rate. Right. And, and, and really going hard in your business and building that thing out. So you would have the funds to go out there and buy, you know, all these units in, in nine months time. So if there's a lesson for our rookie audience, it's that if you have, if you have a really clear plan around what you want to do and you pursue that plan aggressively, a lot of good things can happen in a, in a relatively short period of time. And I think you're, you're a great example of that, Jesse. Thanks. Obviously it's a privilege though, like, you know, being someone who can save any money at all, like not everybody can save money from their weekly or monthly income. But so it's worth noting that like, there are so many ways to do this. Even if you can't save money, that's just the way that we happen to do it. And I think earlier when you were talking about this too, you kind of discounted yourself and saying like, you're lucky to have a, you know, be high income. So it's easier, but Think about how many other people are high income and they live paycheck, paycheck to paycheck or barely meet their bills, no matter what your income level is. If you are disciplined to save, that is a, a great achievement um, on itself, no matter what your income is to be able to save. And then also something kind of cool that I noticed here is that, so you are house hacking now. So you also picked up your life of where you were living previously moved to a house hack. So what did that situation kind of look like? Were you, you renting an apartment? Did you have your dream home and you decided to move to a house hack? What to, kind of paint that picture for us. Yeah. So we were renting up until we moved into the house hack. So we bought the first two investment properties while we were still renting. And the reason was a, we lived across the street from my parents, which we loved. It was so convenient. And I love being close with family. Um, 
And B, our rent was just so good. Like it was too good to be true. So I'm like, we're only going to rock the boat for the perfect situation. I refuse to raise our cost of living just to splurge on a house that we like. But from going from renting, and again, we had really cheap rent for the area that we live in. Like Mass is definitely um, a higher cost of living. But from going from the apartment to the house hack, we actually lowered our monthly cost of living by five to $600. And that's including saving for, you know, repairs and maintenance, vacancy and CapEx. That is like, you're like, you're, you're so impressive, Jesse. That's so cool, right? How many people can go from renting an apartment to buying a house and spending less money doing that, right? While also getting all these other benefits that come along with, with home ownership. Um, so the, the house hack, I think, is one example of how you've been able to increase your savings rate. Would you mind like maybe sharing some other tips and strategies that you and, and Pat, your husband, employ to kind of uh, save more money as you, you went on this journey? Yeah, I mean, increasing the savings rate, obviously, the one big thing is that's not just cutting your expenses, it's also increasing your income. And there's an unbelievable, like there's a limitless number of ways that you can do that. It's just a matter of are you going to get creative or not. Um, I just so while we were at BPCon, I saw um, Rachel Richards's presentation. So I immediately got both her books and I'm like halfway through them already. Yeah. And in one of the books, there's a list of like, here are really simple ways that you can increase your income. So people forget about that. But as far as um, reducing your expenses to bump up that savings rate, it's easy things like just thinking about every dollar you spend, are you spending it intentionally? Like, if I DoorDash dinner when I don't really have to, that's not intentional. It's not something I would feel good about a week from now. So am I really being intentional and spending in ways that I actually really want to spend, you know? Yeah. And just one quick shout out for Rachel Richards. She's Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. I actually met her for the first time at BPCon as well. And she's she's got a pretty incredible story. So if you guys aren't following Rachel, definitely definitely go check her out. Um, Ashley, I know you talk about this a lot too, about like having the the right uh, kind of financial foundation before you get started. And Jesse, you, you mentioned that you guys saved up enough money for your your rental investment, but you also saved, saved up enough money for like your own nest egg to make sure that if things went went south, that you had that. And actually, I, just, I think that ties in so perfectly with what you always say about building that foundation first. Yeah. And I feel like not that it's been easy for you, but for somebody that hasn't built that foundation, you're going to struggle a lot harder getting three deals in nine months than if you have though that cash in place for those down payments where you don't have to go and find a private money lender. You don't have to go and use hard money. It's You can still definitely do it having no money, but when you have the money for the down payment, you have the cash reserves saved up. It's easier to propel yourself without having to rely on other resources to get that done. And one thing that I've been noticing a lot is people are asking the question, do I find the deal first or do I get the money first? And if you get the deal first, if it's a great deal, the money will come. But it is so much easier when you already have the money to take down that deal. <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> totally right. Because like you find a good deal, you just you just pay the money, right? Yeah, you just buy and it. Ash, just go. <laughs> you just buy it, right? And and we've talked about this before too, right? It's like when you have the money to solve a problem, you don't really have a problem. You just write the check, you do the thing, and, and then it's done. And I feel like that's such a, a mindset shift that the new investors have to make. It's like money solve money's not 
the you know it doesn't solve every problem but money solves a whole heck of a lot of problems in, in most people's uh situations yeah so real quick i just want to go on to a rant real quick about money and stuff rant away and let's do it financial freedom but <laughs> so if you're sitting there listening right now and you are thinking like there is no way i can save money like i have expenses i have a family i have things to do first thing i challenge you to do is sit down go through your bank statement go through your credit card charges any cash you use, you have receipts from the cash that you spend, but pretty much nobody uses cash. So you should be able to see all of your expenses through your checkbook, your credit cards, your bank account. Okay. Look at where those expenses are going. Okay. Are they going to streaming devices? Are they going to monsters at the gas station? Are they going to eating out? Are they, you know, random splurges at Target? Write them down. And I think you might be astonished as to how much you are actually spending in different categories. And then think about how much do you really want that first property? Is it worth giving up some of those things to get that first property? And if you're going to look at everything, just be like, no, like, I don't want to give that up. I want to enjoy my life. Okay, fine. It's going to be longer and harder to get to, to what you want. And obviously giving up your chai tea latte, latte, you know, every day is going to not be enough to get you there. But if you can find somewhere to save even a couple hundred dollars every month, that is definitely going to make a big difference. And once you start to like see those savings build, like you're just going to want to propel yourself faster and you're just going to want to put more and more money once you get that momentum going. So those are just some things that you guys can try and look at that I feel like has helped me and other people too, when trying to figure out where your money is actually going and Get a, get a hold onto your money. Because if you can't sit here right now and tell me where exactly your money goes, it's just gone, then that's where you need to sit down and really look at your expenses. You had mentioned too, like, um, you know, giving up the chai tea lattes. And I feel like a lot of people think of that stuff as a sacrifice, but it's really not a sacrifice. Like, what are you sacrificing instead by buying it? If you're spending money so frivolously and delaying when you can retire and have that time freedom, like, you're sacrificing that every time you spend money unintentionally. So it's really not, you're not sacrificing anything. It's just trade-offs that you're making. You know what I mean? That is such a good point. Yeah. So I, I don't want to make this sound counter to what you guys are saying, because I totally agree with what you guys are talking about in terms of managing your spend. But I also think there's a fine line between doing yourself a disservice by not hiring certain things out. Like me, I feel like you know my time is better spent podcasting, analyzing deals, creating content for YouTube, uh, talking to our private money lenders, looking, you know, all these different things related to, to the business. So I almost never, like we almost never cook at home. Like we have like a meal prep company that we use that delivers like 80% of what we, what we eat. And if we're not eating that, we're like, you know, we're like door dashing something from like the local food. But for us, it's made more sense from a business perspective to not spend, you know, four hours every other day prepping meals for the entire week. And for us, it makes more sense to, to kind of source those things out. So I think as you're, as you're building your business, and obviously everyone's financial situation is going to be a little bit different, but if there are I think things that you can delegate out to other people so that you can focus on moving those big levers in your business. Sometimes it might be worthwhile to just pay this person to do it so you can go out and, and focus on that that more, I don't know, income producing activity in your business. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. I want to talk a little bit more about the the funding side um, because I, you, you talked a little bit through I think the first one, but so you have the duplex, the the short term rental, and then the second duplex. So were, did you use just like your cash savings for all three of those purchases, or or were you doing some other kind of creative financing to to fund those? Oh, I definitely had to get creative, and I feel like as you go, you have to get more and more creative. Um, so with the first one, we did use our savings, but um, fortunately, we were able to put down only about 11%, which is kind of crazy for an investment property. And the reason we could put down less was because I got the property under contract for significantly less than it appraised at. So with that lender that we were using, um, they said, you know, if you get it 10% below appraisal, you can put down just 10%. So I really pulled out all the stops to get it under contract for less. And um, yeah, so that worked out. And he, around here, like, so that property, um, you know, even getting it under value, we paid 357 
And um, so having to put down 20%, like that would have been a huge difference. Was this a a small local bank or was this like Wells Fargo or, or Bank of America? This was Civic Financial and they're based in California. And um, I just really liked the guy that I was talking with. So I had talked to a ton of different lenders um, and I really wanted to go with somebody who was personable and just seemed like they were really on my team. Can, can we pull on that thread a little bit, Jesse? So you said you talked to a bunch of different lenders and you're looking for that. Like, What kind of questions were you actually asking those lenders to see if they were going to be a good fit to work with you? So I asked questions like, what are you going to need to see from me? Um, what does the property need to be doing for monthly cash flow? Like, what are you going to be looking for from me? And then how long does it take to close? Um, but honestly, I wasn't getting super into all the details like that. I was really just feeling for who is someone that I feel like is going to be easy to work with. Like whose personality do I drive with? And with all three of my deals, I didn't go for the lender that gave the best interest rate or the lender who had the lowest closing costs. I went with the person who I really felt like was pulling for me and was going to get it done and was easy to work with. So just a couple things, right? Uh, I love that you spoke to a bunch of different lenders because I think for a lot of new investors, they get uh, somewhat tunnel visioned or like pigeonholed and just talking to the ones that they already know. Um, but it sounds like you really did like a, a lot of research around who is the right person for, for me to deal with. And the second thing I want to call out is that by going with the bank that's a little bit smaller and has some more flexibility, a lot of times you can get better loan products and going to the Bank of America or or the Wells Fargo because this bank said as long as you can get it, you know, whatever you said, like 10% below appraised value, then we can reduce your your down payment. A big bank might not have that same level of flexibility, but the small bank they don't have to worry about the same policies, procedures, et cetera. All they want to make sure is, are you getting a good deal? And, you know, Ashley's had amazing lending options from those small local banks. My first four properties I bought with zero money out of pocket because the bank offered a really great loan product. So for all of our rookies that are listening, if you find the right bank, it can literally change your entire life. Um, as a quick side note, uh, Henry Washington and Henry Washington and I from on the market podcast, we were chatting during BPCon, and he's got a bank out where he's at in uh, in Arkansas, and they offer amazing financing options to him where he's able to refi really quickly without a seasoning period and just do all these other crazy things. But it's all because he found the right lending partner. So I think for a new investor, one of the most important things they can do at the beginning of their career is spend the time to find the right bank because it can make all the difference. So you've got this this duplex that you got with your your savings at 11% down. Walk me through the uh, that single family home you guys turned into a, a short-term rental. How did that lending come about? Yeah, so the single family home, um, we started making offers in like January or February. So right after we closed on the first duplex, I was I took maybe like a week to relax. And then I was like we're paused. We need to keep going. So, um, we started making offers. I probably made like 10 offers. Um, and I did use a realtor for this one because it's about two and a half hours away. Whereas it did not use a buyer's agent for either of the other two properties. Um, so for this one, we made about 10 offers. Um, we actually got one under contract and I was so excited about it. And during the due diligence period, I spent probably $1,500, maybe $2,000 in all sorts of inspections. And a lot of issues came up and we weren't able to come to an agreement. So I actually had to lose out on that. 
But in retrospect, that was really smart because two days after I lost out on that, I got this one under contract, which is way better, like way better deal. Um, so for this one, we used a second home loan, also known as a vacation home loan. So I put down 10%. Um, and because vacation home loans are tied to like you as a person, um, my DTI had to support that. So my debt to income uh, between myself and my husband. So what about the the house hack then? Are you, what kind of financing did you do for that? Did you do FHA or Yeah, for the house hack we did FHA. Can you just explain what FHA is in case maybe someone doesn't know just what the difference is from the other types of lending you did? Yeah, so an FHA loan um, is a low down payment loan. You can often put down just three and a half percent or most often you can put that down. Um, and it's intended for a property that you're going to live in. Um, you can actually use the FHA loan multiple times in your life. You can just only have one at a time. So we got into this with the FHA loan. But a fun fact that in all my, you know, 365 days of research somehow never came up is that there are FHA loan limits. So for each county, there's a limit to how high, how high you can go with the FHA loan. So because this property was on the pricier side, we actually had to come to closing with more like 8%. So that kind of threw us for a loop. Um, but I think in real estate, there's nothing but surprises. So um, we made it work. So when did you find that out during the loan process once you had already committed to the loan or... When did that surprise happen? <laughs> so that was um, maybe like a week after we had the signed offer by both parties. So that's something right there is there's always going to be those surprises that come up that you may not expect to. And that's why I think like, you know, listening to podcasts like this, you get an idea of things you should be asking your lender so that these surprises don't come up as to, you know, there's so many different moving pieces, no matter what type of loan or what kind of lender you're going with that even today, still like I worked with a hard money lender and I had a, a surprise come up where I couldn't refinance out of the hard money loan unless there was five properties or five units in total on that loan. I would have to refinance with a different product instead of the one built in and all these things. And that was like, man, I never even asked that question because I just didn't even think that there would be a limit as to how many there could be. So, and so I always try to find out as much information up front as to, you know, what that loan product is actually going to be and any obstacles that are going to come up. So Jesse, do you have one particular property where you want to kind of walk us through the the process of purchasing it, purchasing it and what the numbers kind of look like today? Oh yeah. Okay. Which one did you want to do? I'd like to do the house hack that we're in right now. I think that one is um, like most exciting because I think a lot of people start with house hacking or if they don't, they should. (laughs) So I'd like to go through that one. Uh, Where did you find this deal? What market is it in? It's in central Massachusetts. And how did you find the deal? On Zillow. I found them all on Zillow. Okay. And how much was the asking price and what did you purchase it for? The asking price was five ninety, and that's what I purchased it for. And how did you finance this deal? I know we kind of already talked about that, but <laughs> yeah, the FHA loan, and we did about um, about the eight percent down. But um, I actually got twelve thousand in closing costs covered, so that offset some of the down payment. Can you explain that a little bit further? As to how would somebody else be able to yeah. do that? Yeah, <laughs> right. So. Um, 
So one thing that I think was in our favor is that I went straight to the listing agent, which I did for three out of my five accepted offers. Um, I think building relationships, like we can't say it enough is so important, but, um, so I went straight to the listing agent and we really built rapport and he actually was also the owner who flipped the house. So we had very few cooks in the kitchen here and that really helped me just build a relationship directly with him. And, um, I just said, you know, I'm happy to give you the asking price. I think it's totally worth it. And it will be for me because the value really really is what someone's willing to pay for it. Like, I don't care what other homes are selling for around here. If my bank will give me the loan and the numbers work for me, then I'm not trying to just get a deal to get a deal. Right. So I was like, I'll pay the asking price. Um, We're comfortable doing no inspection, but um, can you cover 12,000 of the closing costs? And like I had mentioned, I don't go for the cheapest lender. I go for the person who believes in me and is really on my team and is hustling to get the loan closed. So yeah, my closing costs were kind of high. I had like a $7,500 lender fee, but I didn't pay for it. So that was fine. (laughs) So Jesse, first, I I love the idea of um, going straight to the listing agent and asking them to represent you because now that that agent is almost more incentivized to work with you because they, they get a chance to maybe double in that deal, right? Um, but one of the things you mentioned as, as a leverage point between you and the, the seller was that you agreed to waive your inspections. So you, you mentioned earlier that you had some issues pop up around your, your short-term rental and at least one that you were trying to purchase that made you walk away from that deal. What made you comfortable and confident to waive the inspection for this house hack knowing you had just walked away from a deal because of the inspection on on that property? Yeah, I think because the other property was going to be a short-term rental and so far away, if issues were to come up, it was going to be kind of devastating to us. Like, let's say the septic failed because there was a septic tank at that house that um, where the the inspection didn't go very well. That would be kind of devastating for a short-term rental business. Whereas this being our primary home, there wasn't a septic, there wasn't a well, Um, you know, it was recently flipped. We learned so much from going through the walkthroughs on our other inspections that we knew a lot of stuff to look out for. And we knew that we're going to be in this home for the long term. Like this isn't something that we're going to try and turn around right away or sell in a couple of years. Like we plan to hold it forever. So we were just more willing to deal with things if, and when they come up. Okay. So now that you've moved into the property and you have tenants in place, can you talk about what your rental income is from the long-term tenant and the uh, midterm rental? Yeah. So for our long-term tenant on the other side of the duplex, the rent is 2,100 a month and that includes heat. Um, and then our midterm renter in our unit, in our furnished guest room, pays $1,700 a month, and that includes all the utilities. But I made it a little bit juicier to get that higher rate by saying that I will do laundry service because the laundry room is actually through my daughter's room. So it just kind of makes more sense for me to do it anyways. And since we allow pets, um, you know, since I'm lavishly semi-retired at 30, I'm home all the time. So I was like, if you bring a pet, I will help with pet care while you're at work because I know a lot of these people work really long shifts. So that kind of made it juicier. So you are almost getting the amount that the long-term tenant is paying for this unit in your house. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let me, how does that interaction kind of work? I mean, do they even come out and hang out with you guys? Or what's it like at the common areas? Yeah. So our long-term tenant, so we moved in um, at the end of August. Our long-term tenant, we already had lined up. She moved in September 1st. And our midterm renter, she actually just moved in like four days ago. Um, and this is our first time doing that. So far, it's working out great. I mean, because our midterm tenant is in our unit, I really went above and beyond to vet her and make sure like, you know, we kind of vibed when we were on FaceTime and we did like a credit and background check and a full application, a full lease, but just for three months. And um, it's worked out really well. I think the benefit to us is just so worth it. I think this is the first time we've had somebody come on talking about renting by the room as a midterm rental. Usually it's a short-term rental or it's a long-term tenant. And I really, really like this because if a long-term tenant, you're stuck with them for a while, you have them probably in a six month or a one year lease. So things are not going well. It's going to be harder to get rid of them. A short-term tenant, you have lots, even though you can shut it off whenever you want and, you know, not have somebody in your house, you're having so much turnover that it's so many different people coming in and out of your house. And also you don't have the time to vet and FaceTime and credit and background check to make sure they're not a serial killer. Like you do, you would, when you choose somebody for three months? I think that is such like a happy medium is that you get to live with somebody for a while, but it's not a super long commitment too, but you can also go through the appropriate steps to, you know, vet the person that's actually moving into your home. And we can always try it this one time. And if we don't love it, we can not do it again, but at least then we'll have had the experience. We've got to, we've got to like coin that that strategy somehow like the the rent by the room medium term rental I don't yeah. like the the I don't even know I'm trying to like burr that like but there's no I don't know what sound that would be R B T R M T R I don't know we we'll we'll figure it out but you got to coin that one because I, I think that's such a cool strategy like mm-hmm. like you said Ash like I haven't really heard of many people combining the midterm stay with the rent by the room, but it's like, oh my God, if you do that in the right market, that could be so exceptionally profitable without the work that comes along with with managing a a short term. So one question for you, Jesse, how how did you find this tenant? Um, Was it like Furnish Finder? Were you on Airbnb, some Craigslist, like Facebook groups? What what method did you use to find this person? Um, A little, a combination of all of those. So I listed on Airbnb, which I already had experience with because of our short-term rentals. So that was easy. Um, I also listed on Furnish Finder and I posted in all of the Travel Nurse Facebook groups. Um, And I also had my assistant go in and search for posts from travel nurses with the words Boston, Worcester, Providence, like close by cities, so that she could comment on the posts with the Airbnb listing. And ultimately, I um, found this tenant through Airbnb. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, Jesse, congratulations on that house hack. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's really cool. I think we all learned a lot right there. <laughs> yeah. Can it, Just one last follow-up question, Jesse. So what, like, I know you said that you're, you decrease your living expenses by several hundred dollars, but what's, what's your mortgage on that 590 purchase? So the principal interest taxes and insurance is 3850 and we have left over to pay out of our pockets 50. Wow. That is... <laughs> Like how many people can say that they live for 50 bucks a month? 
right? Like that is, that's so amazing. Well, and what was, and in a $600,000 house too. House, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to make that point too. I feel like a lot of people house hacking, like if they're just lowering their cost of living and not zeroing it out, they don't really feel like it's an amazing house hack, but I'm also investing like for the long term for the future. So every month, let's look at this like 590 purchase price, right? If I look back 20 years, the average annual appreciation in mass is 4.6% a year. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, over $2,000 a month is kind of going into this invisible savings account for later, plus the debt pay down. So whatever's going towards principal every month. So even though it feels like I still have to pay to live, like I'm paying for the utilities and the 50 a month and stuff and whatever goes wrong, but I also have all that money going into this invisible retirement account. So even when it feels like it's not a gigantic home run win, when I remember that, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is actually a pretty big one. It is a gigantic big home run win. (laughs) And I think too that, yeah, you are so right. People get caught up in like that they should be cash flowing or that they should be living for free but you can't compare yourself to other people. I mean, there's people living in $50,000 duplexes that, you know, maybe they're living for free, but you are living in a $600,000 house that's getting equity built into it by mortgage pay down appreciation. And you're only paying $50. So it's so hard to compare apple to apples. And it's kind of like when people shout out their, their units or whatever to how many units they have that that is not a status symbol that doesn't tell you what their cash flow is or how much they've invested into the property there's no way you can compare each other to that but um yeah Jesse congratulations that is a gigantic uh, home run that house hack so I want to continue um having you share your wisdom we're going to move to the rookie request line this is where you can leave a voicemail at 1888- Five rookie Tony and I will get your voicemail and we may play your question on the show for a guest to answer. Today's question is from Erica Albert. Hi, my name is Erica Albert. I have a question. I was just listening to the podcast and it was all about you have to uh, run the numbers, which I 100% agree with. And then Tony said you have to trust the numbers. My question is in regards to that. I've begun to not trust the numbers um, after using, you know, five different algorithms to predict rental revenue uh, for short-term rental properties, how can you quickly assess these and really trust uh, what AirDNA or Data.Rabu or Price Labs is giving you? That's all. You can only trust them so much, you know, like it's really just it's not as much a way to predict what the investment's going to do, how it's going to perform. I think looking at all those numbers, and she's right to use like five different data sources or calculators, but I think getting those numbers is a better way to just compare different potential short-term rental purchases, like compare them to each other. There's not going to be a guarantee. There's not a perfect data source. If you use five and take the average that's probably the best indicator that you're going to get. So at a certain point, you just need to take the leap of faith. If everything is saying that it's probably a good idea, I think maybe she's just getting like analysis paralysis and just running numbers till she's blue in the face. And it's like, you know, freaking her out and making her kind of go backwards. But 
it sounds like she's doing her homework, you know, like at a certain point, you just have to trust that you are making a good investment that you know what you're doing. And I think too, is if there are different numbers, go with the lowest. Oh yeah. Be conservative, you know, pick the lowest one. And then if you get more than that, that's great. That's bonus money. But if you are feeling that there is a, a, a wide range of those numbers that you're getting from these different softwares and platforms, then take the lowest and use that as your number to analyze the deal. Awesome. All right. Well, Jesse, I want to move us on to our rookie exam. These are the three most important questions you will ever be asked in your entire life. So are you ready for the exam? Oh yeah, I'm ready. So question number one, Jesse, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to your episode? I think they should pick the person on the rookie podcast that they felt like they could relate to most and just message them on Instagram and start a conversation. I did that with guests that I had heard on the podcast. And I feel like the the trajectory of my career with investing has like totally blown up because of just reaching out to those people. So if you feel like there's someone on the podcast that you learned a lot from, like mine was Amelia and Grace, I reached out to them. And otherwise, I wouldn't have even known what midterm rentals are. So because of them... I only pay $50 towards my mortgage, you know? So making a connection with somebody that's just a couple steps ahead of you is my biggest action step. Jesse, can you kind of script that out? What do you say when you first message somebody? I've messaged a bunch of people from the podcast. Yeah. Do you have, do you have like a question in mind that you usually ask them? Or are you just like saying, I love the episode you were on. You did a great job. This I found this interesting. How are you kind of making that connection to engage them back into a conversation with you. I think for social media in general, it's a good best practice to always do an open-ended question, but it should probably be based on what they were talking about on the podcast. Um, For example, when I first read that Business Insider article about the girl who is 26 and retiring, I messaged her and she had spoke to a couple books that she read. I messaged her. I explained where I'm at in like three sentences. And I was like, if you could recommend only one book to me, what would it be? And she recommended The Simple Path to Wealth. And I that love that book, book so much. <laughs> it's like a favorite of mine. I loved it. And that led to the next thing that led to the next thing. So that DM really is responsible for a lot of what I've done in the last year. Awesome. Okay. The next question is what is one tool, software app or system in your business that you use? Um, the one that we use the most is monday.com. So it's like a task tracking software. Um, I actually, I'm in Tony's, um, short-term rental Facebook group and I shared our list for everything that we do on a repeating basis for our short-term rental in there. And we could never keep track of everything in both businesses without monday.com. I like live by it. Tony and I use that too. That, that post you put in the Facebook group. I love that one. Like that, that's one of my favorite things I've seen in there. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, and also your answers to that first question about reaching out to guests. I think that might be one of the best answers that we've had to that question so far. So, um, so far you're passing this exam with flying colors. Just, just that out <laughs> nice. Um, so, so last question, Jesse, where do you plan on being in five years? Hmm. In five years, I definitely plan to be fully retired from working in my beauty business. I plan to be location independent, but probably still in central mass because obviously I don't like to go that far. 
Um, and I plan to continue at least for the next year and a half making one smart purchase a quarter. But now I'm transitioning to hoping to make those purchases with silent equity partners. That's kind of the shift that I realized I need to make. Um, and BPCon really helped me come to that realization that that's what's next for me. Again, the power of networking and surrounding yourself with, uh, with the right people, right? Um, so before we close out today, Jesse, I just want to highlight this week's rookie rock star. Uh, this week's rock star is Paul Bittencourt. And Paul says, I closed escrow on my first ever triplex. Such a blessing to be able to accomplish that. Paul says, this time two years ago, I didn't have any rentals. He had $20,000 in credit card debt, had two car loans, and they had a three-month-old baby with no financial plan whatsoever. And in the last 18 months, they've acquired five duplexes, a single family house, and this triplex all in California. So Paul, congratulations to you, brother. Sounds like an amazing journey. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You did an awesome job and we loved um, getting to speak with you and to get all your advice and knowledge that you're sharing everyone with everyone. Can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you and reach out to you? Just slide into your DMs. <laughs> yep. Slide into my DMs on Instagram. I'm Jesse Dillon with an underscore at the end, and I'm very active on there. So if you message me, I will definitely get back to you. Um, Tony, you know what I think the editors should do one time is go through our podcast and like do like the top five phrases we say. And I bet slide into DMs. Well, everybody, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you slide into Jesse's DMs if you guys have a question or just want to connect with her. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we'll be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.